0: Hello and welcome to Time for a Story, scary stories from a small town in Maine. Season 4, Chapter 6, The Silver Ring And it's all over now, Baby Blue. Bob Dylan It's time to leave. Were you able to get some rest? Sheriff Randall had left his spot in the great room and had entered the kitchen. Amelia was at the center island packing medical supplies. Hmm. Considering my close encounter yesterday and the fact that we're about to go back out there again. It might surprise you to know that I'm not sleepy, she answered. Me neither, Nathan agreed, adding, You know, you could stay here, where there's plenty to do, and you'll be safe. Nice try, she said, without looking up. She was already changing the subject. I've decided it might be helpful to bring some first aid supplies with us. Our Ed has prepped for open-heart surgery here, hasn't he? Nathan was watching her work, watching her carefully load her tan leather backpack, the same pack she had carried for as long as he had known her. Except for a slim silver ring with a yellow stone, she wore no jewelry. For years he had wanted to ask her about the ring and what it meant to her. He wanted to know everything about her. But he didn't trust his words, and so he answered, like he always did, "'Yup.' She brushed her hair away from her eyes and considered a bottle of antiseptic. To Nathan, her every movement felt precious, as though these might be her last. "'If anything happens to her,' he thought. He could feel the mounting dread in his stomach, he grabbed a pull and springs from one of the cupboards and opened it. Maybe the water would push it down. Ed was there now, holding a set of keys and looking pallid as though he had just been sick. He was wearing a faded brown cashmere sweater and a red bandana around his neck. The sheriff and the doctor looked up simultaneously. Shall we? Ed asked and motioned toward the door to the garage. The ride was rough. Dr. Karen's hands were jammed in her coat pockets, both to shield her from the wind and to confirm the presence of the loaded syringe. Rolling it in her hand gave her comfort, thinking about seeing Samantha again, did not. It was cold. Ed was driving the ATV, pushing them hard along the back trails toward the house on the Barker Road. The doctor's assistant had carefully mapped every detail of their route, right down to the precise departure time. Everything he did made it clear that he had done his homework. Ed was a most unassuming fixer, always a step ahead of a problem and always overprepared. And now, thanks to him, they were packing several new weapons and an entirely different strategy. There was nothing left to do but drive and think. Ed pulled the bandana away from his mouth and nose so that he could speak. We're about 20 minutes out now, he announced. Almost there. Dr. Karen was ready to be done with fear. She kept her gaze straight ahead while giving Ed the thumbs-up sign with her left hand. Nathan had a question, and so he leaned forward from his spot in the back you planning to pull right up onto the property with this thing? he asked, speaking loud enough to be heard over the noise of the engine. Or are we going to go for the element of surprise? Ed only pressed his foot down on the accelerator in response. The three riders moved along the trails, zipping over pastures and flying past the sleepy farms of the interior valley. It was 3.45 a.m., still too early to milk the cows and too dark to notice Virginia Willette. She had hung herself from the oak tree at the head of her long driveway, her body twirling gently as her boots grazed the top of her mailbox. Her location had been intentional. She would not have her animals going hungry. Ed knew that moving fast along the backcountry trails would keep them safe from Samantha, but it also made the trip dangerous. At their current speed, a split tire or unexpected dip in the road could mean the end of them. But Ed was not going to let that happen. He pulled the bandana back up into position. The house was a junk heap, dark and dank, Years of filth and rot had insulated the interior from the light, creating the perfect pocket for its newest residence. Located along the back quadrant of the first floor was a bedroom, their room. The space was lined with mattresses, each soaked and stained in a rainbow spray of bodily secretions. Several souls were there now, gyrating in agony, And praying for the sweet relief of death. Various stages of pleading and crying were weaving themselves together in a blanket of torture that stretched for hours and then days. And always the darkness was calling, Come now and end your suffering. For these captives, the choice was simple say yes, and the spasms end. "'Say no, and feel the burn of a thousand fires forever. "'Our Father, who art in heaven, help us!' "'But no one can withstand such pain for long, "'and faith in God was running out. "'Even goodness had started perusing the brochures. "'More time passed. "'Another night was ending, "'and that meant she would be back soon.' Her presence in the room always made the suffering worse because, among her many other needs, she demanded silence. Waves! Break it down in waves! Breathe! Count! Pray! The Lord is my shepherd! I shall not want! I must not give in! From just outside there was a sound, the sound of an approaching vehicle. For one of them, at least, The writhing stopped as an ear strained to understand what it meant. Is somebody out there? The sun heard it too and was already lifting her hopeful glow over the horizon. Somebody is coming. As the day dawned, Ed's ATV emerged from the woods, its righteous growl pouring in through the opening where there once had been a door. Exhaust filled the front hall like fumigation, clearing the way for the three unlikely soldiers. It had been so long since life and decency had walked here, but it was here. Who could it be? There was no talking, only the heavy clomp of footsteps moving swiftly toward the back room. They were getting closer. Somebody is here! God has answered our prayers. Pieces of light dissected the darkness, searching. And then, a new sound, the clean ring of a silver blade. Whatever it struck did not slow it down. Nothing had ever sounded so beautiful. Twice more, the blade rang out. Praise God, please, take me next. And then, It was over. Take their heads and throw them into the pond. We won't have time to burn them, Ed said. His right arm was shaking and his slacks and sweater were speckled with blood. Amelia punched at the thick carpeting that covered the windows while Nathan worked quickly to gather the corners of an old sheet around the remains. If Ed or Amelia had recognized any of the faces that were now being carried away, they never said so. Nathan knew all of them. He was nearly at the front entrance when he heard Amelia calling out after him. Please hurry back, Nathan. Ed spoke calmly and with authority, but he had never looked so frail. Amelia, you are to stay behind me, watch my back, and keep the dipper van ready. The next phase will be different. She's going to know we're here, he warned, and she's going to be furious. Amelia scanned the ceiling above her. She was taking no chances this time. She wanted Ed to know that she was ready and that she would not let him down. You just keep your eyes on the door and don't worry about me. Ed turned briefly to look at Amelia. There was so much he wanted to say to her, but there was no time. Instead, he only winked back reassuringly. The Silver Ring, written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram at Main Stories and visit my website at bridgetemmons.com. Thank you for listening.